Good morning. Such a beautiful morning. Crisp, clear, and about to be full moon. And on Monday, we have Mandala Day, 21st of every month, and everyone's invited to participate in Lotus Sutra chanting, Great Compassionate Dharani, and Namudai Bosa, this service that was devised by my Dharma grandfather, Soen Nakagawa Roshi, to celebrate the spiritual interrelationship of all beings, all time, all space but choosing the 21st of every month being Daibosatsu Day. Yesterday we had a wonderful all-day sitting, some of you were there, with a number of people who are somewhat new to the practice, and we chanted Namu Daibosa, the day was so smooth and so deep. The silence and zazen, hard to believe that at least uh, three quarters of the people there were really just starting their practice. Of course, the feeling in the zendo from our jukai winter session of last week still pervading. Everything has such powerful effect. We sometimes don't realize everything and builds. And this is our responsibility as students of the way. But so many things seem to crowd that understanding out or overwhelm it. Someone said to me recently, I wish it all could just stop. Looking ahead to the week coming up, And, of course, everyone has this feeling, oh, not another email. Oh, more stuff to sort through, more paper coming from the U.S. mail. More phone calls to return, more engagements to take care of, more and more and more and more and more. I wish I could just stop for a little bit. But isn't that what we're doing? Isn't that what the Buddha taught? Over and over again, it seems to me that the most important thing we can do is go back to basics. Go 
back to those four noble truths. All the most extraordinarily complex and subtle and profound teachings emanate from our understanding of these four noble truths. So everyone is quite familiar with the first. Yes, there is suffering. And as a practitioner of the way, we have been taught it's absolutely crucial to look at the root, the origin of our discontent, right? And seeing all the many ways in which we create difficulty for ourselves and others because we want things to be what? Hmm? Different from the way they are. Yeah, different from the way they are. We all know how the world could be a lot better if it would just do what we wanted it to do and only send us mail we like. And only email we receive is, oh, so, so appreciated your talk yesterday. Don't do that. <laughs> this is how we hanker after, hanker after what we think serves our separate the fiction of our separate self, right? And push away, push away, push away. Don't like, don't like, don't like. Go away. Anything that challenges that fiction. And, of course, always looking at how our attachment and aversion to every moment pollutes it. There's nothing wrong with being swamped by stuff if we don't feel that it is what? Wrong. Separate. Problematic. Whatever we say about it. Any schedule any amount of work that's coming up is just fine if we don't think that there's some other way to be, like retired. <laughs> can we really retire? We can stop going into the office, but can we retire? Ever since her retirement, Meg Etzu has been working so hard <laughs> for the Zendo. Wonderful. I can't say I consider her retired. <laughs> Yesterday I was reading some passages from Gellick Rinpoche's wonderful Good Life, Good Death before I get to the third noble truth. 
And this is a passage I did not read yesterday about the second noble truth, desire or craving or attachment. He says, the way attachment functions within the individual is very different from anger. Anger possesses you. It's hot. You can feel it and you can see it coming. Attachment is cool, soft. It's like dipping paper in oil. When the paper touches the oil, though you barely dip a corner of it, a large amount of oil is quickly absorbed. And it's extremely hard to wash out. Likewise, attachment is pervasive. It comes unexpectedly, takes over our entire body, mind, and even speech. Anger is rough. Attachment comes in gently. By the time we realize it, we're already up to our neck in it. Last night, we went to see a film, a very, very, very good film. I don't know if any of you has seen There Will Be Blood. It's uh, based on a novel by Upton Sinclair about the early oil industry, the beginnings of oil. And if we know, as we are sitting here in 2008, how really nefarious an industry it is, as we are beginning to run out of it. It's very interesting to see that it started that way. That's exactly greed, anger, folly, from the very beginning. Our dependence on oil has been Attachment to evil karma. Evil. So please don't misunderstand my saying this does not mean that, you know, I am going to insist that we all become Luddites because it's impossible. But we are in serious shape. And we do need to think every time the heat goes on. We open that door. We have to open it just the tiniest crack, okay? It's cold outside. Same with this door. Only just as I get to the door, open this door. Then close it right away. How important, how crucial it is to be aware of Everything that's gone into making it possible to heat this building. And how much time do we have before it's no longer possible to sit here in such comfort? And what is the price we've paid for this comfort? Water, paper, electricity. Well, you can think of many other things. 
email. Every time we turn on the computer and we don't give it a thought, we are complicit. So, looking deeply at the origin and what we can do about it. Because after all, it's not just a question of feeling bad that we depend on something that has come our way at such cost and is getting more expensive every moment. What is it that we can do about it? How do we live? What kind of vow is our day in, day out Buddhist practice? So getting back to this statement this person made, I wish it would all just stop. Stop coming at me. Stop. Change, change, change all the time. Change, change, change. Can I just please have a little place of momentary stability? Momentary stopping. Oh, this is exactly what the Buddha taught, right? Cessation. To be absolutely, unwaveringly here. Here in the sense of now, here, coming from nowhere. In other words, not stuck, not trapped not imprisoned by our views of what here is. But just unmoved, still. And words can be such a trap, as you know, To be unmoved means to be one with everything as it is flowing along. To really find this place of cessation means just this breath. The universe is breathing you. Means to understand the koan of the bridge is flowing, the river is still. Means that when we sit, no matter what, we just sit. Someone comes in late, several heads turn. Oh, who's that? There's no need for that. 
You're not the jisha. You don't have any concern about it. Your concern is only to sit. This has such profound implications. Every time we are reactive to what we perceive as outside ourselves, separate from, this has profound implications. There's another koan, little koan, from the Katoshu, the Entangling Vines collection. That's very, very simple. Mr. Chol drinks wine. Mr. Ri gets drunk. How, logically, how can this be? Okay. Kensei drinks. No, no reaction, right? Just drinks, sober as could be. But Daisho gets drunk. How can that happen? He didn't touch a drop. He drank the whole bottle. He gets drunk. Strange, logically impossible. But this is what we really mean by taking the precepts. No, it doesn't mean that when we take the precepts, one of us drinks and the other gets drunk. Literally, yes, it's truly silly, silly, funny, but profoundly, what does this mean? Hmm? What does it mean? You do something, okay? Take it to your own life. You do something. Take my example. Someone comes in late. That person just comes in late. But when you turn your head, and it's none of your business, what's happening? You get drunk, right? You come in late to your life. You understand? This is so subtle and so profoundly significant. Really, Understanding the precepts from this vantage point. When can we possibly, how can we possibly regard any moment of our lives with indifference? How can we take anything for granted? How can we think it doesn't matter? 
How can we be so haphazard about what we do? Stealing land, drilling for oil, and doing all the things that come after that. It's something that you can make a film about, write a novel about. It's big. You can see it. I advise you to go see it. It's writ large. But take it to heart, because on the subtle plane, has very deep teaching. Every thought we think has an effect. Again, very basic, the Dhammapada, right? We are what we think. Every thought Never mind. Speech and action, but thought itself has profound effect. So if we're not really diligent about our practice, what happens? By being diligent about our practice, it means really pay attention, to really notice when we are deviating from this, 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 and going elsewhere, and being caught up in preference, and thinking Thinking, thinking, this self-indulgent fantasy that we call our lives. It's really serious business, isn't it? We're actually sitting here with the How can I say this? The future of the earth in our hands. That sounds significant, right? But to believe this makes a difference in how we live, makes a difference in how we sit, makes a difference in how we approach this practice makes a huge difference in our motivation. So with real respect for the subtle yet absolute way in which we affect 
others. We can really do true practice, really enter into this. Third noble truth, just. Not only stopping all the craving and all the preference and all the aversion, but really stopping really entering into nirvana in the midst of samsara, realizing there is no other way to enter but from right here, right in the midst of our own seemingly disconnected and messed up little lives. When we give ourselves over, when we really resolve, sit down and shut up, and then again, thoughts come, all kinds of fantasies come, memories, projections, I have to, I feel so overwhelmed, blah, blah, blah. Again, just sit down and shut up. More and more and more, this and that and this and that. I don't like this. I need more of that. Again, sit down and shut up. The more we do it, this is what we mean by training, right? The more we do it, the more we supplant the self-indulgent, absent-minded, indifferent, approach to our lives with something very different, very profoundly effective. Just to remember that what we do right now, what we, what we are right now, how we live this minute, what, we, what is our approach to this minute? So much of it is about what? Past and future. Well, that's true. So much of it is about the past and future. But I was thinking about how much of the way we approach this minute is about our misunderstanding that we have a separate self. Because that brings with it such a huge amount of diverted energy, doesn't it? Shoring that separate self up, defending it, protecting it at all costs. If we look at any moment that we're in, just any moment, pick any moment, this one, the next one, doesn't matter, and notice what's going on. That's the key, right? The third noble truth is to notice. Notice what you're doing and stop right in the very second that you notice. Stop. Think, this has an effect. 
every time you cut it short, what's it? Hmm? The thoughts, the shoring of itself. What else is it? Distractions. Distractions. What else is it? Preferences. You, you can think of a million it's. It doesn't matter, right? That's the point. The minute you become aware, oh, it's got me again. The other interesting thing about this film, There Will Be Blood, is that it's a kind of um, God-Satan conflict. You know, good and evil conflict, and then kind of not so clear after a while. Who's who? But somebody's got you by the throat. Who is that somebody? How will you exercise that? Immediately, right? Immediately. Watch your practice. What is that? Watch your practice. Breath. This is so difficult because generally whatever it is grabs us and we feel, well, as soon as I finish dealing with it, then I'll go back to sitting. Or, you know, bring that into the wider framework of life. As soon as I take care of such and such, then I'll have time to, what, call my mother? In general, we put things off that if we knew we were going to die tomorrow, we probably would do somewhat differently, right? But guess what? You all know we are dying tomorrow. We don't know how long today is. That's the only thing. Tend to think today is a long time. Oh, when will today be over? Soon, soon. (laughs) (laughs) So to really look at this Mr. Cho drinks wine, Mr. Ri gets drunk, is quite wonderful and quite terrible. Quite awful. How subtle, minutely subtle, and yet such all-pervading effect each of our thoughts, each of our words, each of our acts. This is the power of mind. You are what you think, and it affects everyone. That one geyser shooting up black gold, and everything changed. They don't call it a geyser. Probably they call it a gusher. Anyway, instead of water, black. Oil. So to see this, we really do want to turn to the fourth noble truth and say, okay, 
I will dedicate myself to this Eightfold Path. I will realize how crucial it is. Right. We call it right. Not in the sense of opposite to wrong, but the way Daibosatsu, Dai, great beyond big and small, right? Absolutely, boundlessly, unlimited. Eightfold path. And to understand how what you do has such profound effect, past, present, and future, throughout space, throughout time, is to really take seriously the vow to wake up. Right? How can you have anything else but this guiding you? I may not be fully realized Buddha as yet, but I vow that's what I will devote my life to. To say this makes all the difference. Instead of being like a cork bobbing in the water, this happens, and then you do that. Someone comes in, you want to know who's that. This is not to have the vow to become the fully realized Buddha that you are. To really have this vow to wake up makes all the difference. So do what's inconvenient, okay? Do what doesn't come naturally. Because we've all been so brainwashed into thinking what's natural. What's natural? I turn on the water. Turn on the faucet, water comes out, that's natural. I go to the store, I pick up a piece of meat in the wrapper. Oh, that's natural. Well, how did it get there? It's cold, turn up the thermostat. It's natural, get some heat. How did it get there? What can we, each of us, do at any moment to really empty the bowl, the tea bowl of our lives so that we can be? the Buddhas that we are. Nothing in the way. No distractions. No preferences. No illusions. Nothing added. Just as it is. Shining. Realizing this is why we sit. Sitting itself is inconvenient, boring, and painful. Right? Sometimes sitting itself is transcendentally marvelous, beautiful, without any such thing as preference. It doesn't matter. That's the point. It doesn't matter. 
There's no such thing as successful zazen. Please don't worry if you feel bored and in pain. That doesn't mean that you're doing something wrong. It just means that you have an idea of how it should be. Let it go. Return to this shining moment, free of all such qualities, temporary qualities. Then, no problem. Late, okay. Pain, okay. Dying, okay. To give ourselves completely to this practice is all that is required. To really enter this Eightfold Path with enthusiasm, with cheerfulness, with a feeling of no matter what, here I am. No idea about what that means. No, I am. No idea. Just this feeling. Okay. Okay? 